my god. Sarah, how long have you been here? Five days. Have you been writing this whole time? Yes. I have, to, I have to get a hard start, man. I, uh... I got accepted into a master's program, and I, I just, I, I got so many of these to do. I have to do a whole 95, so I, I got to get, try and knock them out. Wait, 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 back up for a second. What uh-huh. are you talking about? Na- 95, I have to do 95 theses. It's, it's a religious studies program. It's, I have to write 95 of these huge master's theses, and I have to go freaking hammer them into the doors of all my professors. This is... A really intense program from what I hear. I don't know. I haven't done a whole lot of research on it. But uh, I got accepted, which was kind of cool. And, uh, oh, man, this is just really intense. I guess if Eric's going to be gone, I guess someone has to play the part of the idiot. The what? Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm not an idiot. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sarah will make that very clear when you first, when you first meet her. Um, folks, you're probably wondering, hey, where is Eric? Well, as we've established uh, earlier, um, Eric can't stop breeding. So uh, he is on daddy call because Martha could pop at any moment. And Yeah, she is ready to go. So... Um, Eric is basically on husband and father duty, taking care of things around the house and getting ready just in case baby comes. So busy, busy man. And he had to take a little bit of time off, but that's okay. We're more than willing to, to hold down the fort while he's taking care of business. Yes, indeed. So he will be back in April, which also kind of leaves us at a miss. I mean, it's no surprise that Eric is kind of the crux of our show. Yeah. So like, we don't really... We, we really you know just, to, we don't have a topic. I don't know what to do without him, so. So, um. What? But Is it somebody at the studio door? What the? Oh my God, it's the wheel. Uh, wheel, it looks like you've, you've cleaned yourself yeah, up you've, quite a bit. I, I mean, last time, if I recall, last time the wheel was here. The wheel was a little off its rocker. Had yeah, gone the wheel completely had, uh, digital. Now it's gone kind of gone back to the old standard wheel and peg situation. I do notice the wheel has a very distinguished Christian theme. Yeah, I going along with it. Yeah, I see uh I see a nice pretty pretty cross hanging around its neck and uh I mean it's glowing. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, so I think we'll just have to interpret that and to say the wheel found god yeah wow okay wow well good for you wheel that's really awesome I'm, I'm glad that the wheel cleaned up its act and um a little surprised though not seeing a whole lot of catholic stuff on that wheel interesting do we think it's maybe the wheel of protestant religions perhaps huh all right well it's you know what it's been a while since we've done a wheel episode wheel have a seat <laughs> let's do this and, uh, and we'll see what happens, okay? Okie doke. All right, Brian, why don't you go ahead and give the first spin? Here we go. I kind of missed that. I missed that sound, that clack, 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 clack sound. It's nice. Nice to have you back, Wheel. And... Lutheran. Of course. Well, we have to start from the beginning if we're going to talk about Protestant religions. How can you talk about Protestantism without talking about Martin Luther? 
I don't know. There's no other. Well, okay, that's not true. There are some other previous starting points prior to Lutheranism. There were some uh, considered proto-Protestant religions. Um, Waldenism is the one that comes to mind for me, which... Uh, was, was that one that talked a lot about books? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where's Waldenism? No. <laughs> Not around anymore. No, I was talking about like Walden Media, but that's oh. but the Waldo reference is funny too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. It lo- it, either or. Yeah. Um, no, Waldenism was uh, one of the early responses to Catholicism and its abundance of riches. And um, I think they took more of the you know, blessed are the meek type approach and um, chose... The blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> said, blessed are the cheesemakers. Oh, God, I love that movie. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but they, they chose to have more of a life of poverty and that kind of thing. So, so there was uh, some pre-Lutheran descent from the Catholic Church and the way, they were, the way they were running things. They weren't really just the only Christian game in town. Right, but it was it was really so. The one thing you really want to emphasize, uh, just to kind of set the tone, is that the the church had consolidated its power uh, at the peak of this by the by the end of the Crusades, no question. And then, but then finally, you have things that you can't explain. When we talk about the bubonic plague mm-hmm. back in our Fifty Shades of Black Death episode, pretty big deal, right? We want like I think we it wiped out a fifth of the population of Europe. You know, millions and millions of people dead. The church had established at that point culturally that if you had lived a good life, God rewarded you. And if you had lived a bad life, you were punished with pestilence and all the things that you read about in the Bible, right? You have a point in time right now where people are dying that have done nothing wrong mm-hmm. other than probably coming across the wrong rat, <laughs> you know? Um, Got bitten by the wrong flea. Exactly. Uh, and yet they're they're rotting away from the insides. Yeah. So that, that innate contradiction in terms plants a seed and people start to ask well maybe the church doesn't have the all the answers well and it's not just that too but it was also political corruption that was going on and um the selling of indulgences and right which you know if you want to explain that right so and all of a sudden all those practices become above are no longer above reproach because the church said one thing Mm -hmm. this infallible organization and they were they were wrong yeah because they were saying that good people were dying yeah um so now that that begs Which the question to, also let me just clarify selling of indulgences um is not still practice it's not still practice no but what it was for those of you who don't know um it was basically Time kind off. of it was kind of like it was kind of like confession it was but you were basically paying off the priest well so so here's let me clarify since i'm the catholic in the room oh please do um in the act of reconciliation, you have the act of confession, the act of um, of repentance, of, of repentance exactly. And so you have the and you say the act of contrition, of course, and then the priest actually offers you the sacrament of reconciliation and absolves your sins. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's two elements of sin. There in the the Catholic understanding of it, there is the guilt of the sin, right? Missing the mark, doing something that you deliberately knew was wrong, right? Not necessarily a transgression and it's good against God, though oftentimes it is, mm-hmm. but just missing the mark. Then you also have, well, you've done something wrong, and out of discipline, you do have to pay for that sin. There is some punishment that goes along with that sin, right? Mm-hmm. The penance aspect of it, the making recompense for what you've done, mm-hmm. that is the 
that is the payment, the atonement for what you've mm-hmm. for you've done, right? And indulgence is basically saying I'm getting time off for good behavior. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, in in I Catholic, thought it was effectively like a hall pass. Yeah. In, in Catholic doctrine, you know, you you die if you die with a mortal sin on your soul, you go to hell, right? If you die with venial sins on your on your soul, well, yeah, those are those can be forgiven too. But the case in point is, you still have to pay for those sins. Mm-hmm. That's what purgatory was all about. It was this idea of this middle ground where no sin can exist in in heaven. So you have to be clean before you enter those gates. So this it was this theological idea that you needed to basically shave up before you you moved up, and. The indulgence was essentially a way of saying basically you get five years off of purgatory. You know, you get right. X amount of time off of that. The church to this day still offers indulgence. I want to make that very clear, but they don't sell them because yeah. that is simony, essentially, right? Yeah. It is um, it is buying your way to to God. Right. And, um, which but is, this was, but at the time in, you know, 1517, when, when, when the this church was, is the hub of political and spiritual power, they can they they were just they were they were yeah. and the church acknowledges to say they were grievous abuses of that power. Absolutely, absolutely. So this was the kind of thing that um, was really lighting a fire under Martin Luther's butt. Who is a priest at this point? He's from a German Germany. friar. Oh, sorry, German friar. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Who uh, was originally going to be a lawyer? Um, had a a moment of conversion, a moment of calling, and became a friar. Really, he also became, but he was also a functioning priest as well. Yeah. Uh, saw the selling of indulgences, and that finally just said, "You know what? Screw it. This is it." <laughs> Being that he was a learned man and had some education to become a lawyer, mm-hmm. he he knew church law very very well. Yeah. And so, and famously in Wittenberg in Germany, he nailed the ninety five theses to the church doors. Yep. The ninety five things that he said the church needed to reconsider. Um, to reform itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that moment of symbolism of, look, this is what we have to look at, um, was was pretty big, right? Because that, that kind of got the wheel rolling and this idea that, well, if the church isn't really in charge anymore, who is? And basically what the idea behind this is, and it's kind of the idea that's set off for a lot of Protestant religions, and it's basically saying that that doctrine should be uh, and this is a quote, by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of scripture alone. Right. So you're talking about sola scriptura, which and, is the uh, yeah. the fundamental basis of a Protestant church mm-hmm. versus uh, one of the Catholic traditions. It's basically saying the, the Pope, and, and the Pope is not, and the Catholic church per se, this overall, you know, dominating power of a church does not actually have to determine our faith. Well, so... Yes and no. So here's the thing. So Sola Scriptura, um, which was, again, the fundamental premise for Protestantism, um, what it first does is it eliminates the idea of sacred tradition, right? In, in the Catholic faith, you have sacred sacred scripture, which is, of course, the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Bible was compiled based off of a tradition that would already, had already existed from centuries before that. Right. So to the church, sacred tradition and sacred scripture go hand in hand. Right. And what, that was determined at the Council of Trent, right? Uh, well, that had been... It was like the, finalized and stamped. Yeah, the, the tradition was technically... The, the the scripture was formed by the tradition in the Council of Nicaea, mm. so which is in, in the 4th yeah, yeah, yeah. century. So well, that was when they determined what parts of the Bible they wanted to keep. 
Right. <laughs> but but then again, but see, that's an example, though. Then yeah. That was founded off of the tradition. It mm-hmm. was what is in line with the, tra- the tradition. Right. Um, so when you remove the tradition part and say, well, look, what does the Bible say about this stuff? Stick to just what the Bible says. Um, it opens up a, a whole other can of worms. So you, by solo scriptura being invoked, then you get to these expansions of that, right? And would you get to what eventually the Protestantism called the five solas, um, which is sola, uh, you also get to sola Christus, which is Christ alone. It basically is determining that there is no mediator between God and man, i.e. the Pope. Um, is The Pope is, is the vicar of Christ to Catholics, so there is no man who acts as a figurehead for, right. for Christ. Yeah. Um, sola gracia, which is by grace alone, which is this idea that salvation uh, is by is determined, determined by God. You don't have that option. You don't work toward it. God's already decided whether you're saved mm-hmm. or not. Now we start to get to deviation, right? Not every every denomination acknowledges sola gratia. Right. But... Um, but nevertheless, it is a kind of a common theme, right? The idea of salvation mm-hmm. and the grace of God. Um, and the other big big one is uh, sola deo gloria, which is glory to God alone. So that cuts out all the veneration to the saints and the sacraments and mm-hmm. all the other very traditionally Catholic elements of, uh, of Christianity. Right. Um, and also there's there's something really also important to, to kind of understand about Lutheranism. Um, that they do hold the two sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist. But there is um, a difference um, kind of about about the, the bread and the wine because there's the idea of transubstantiation, which is what the Catholics believe in, and then consubstantiation, which is what the Lutherans and a few other um, Protestant religions yeah, I believe mean, in. The, Luther, the Lutherans do acknowledge, and same thing as with the Anglicans, they do acknowledge the true presence of Christ in the bread and wine. Yes. How they interpret that yeah, is a little this different. This is so nuanced that just reading it I when I was researching was almost obnoxious to me because I'm like, I don't understand. What the hell is the difference? <laughs> right. And so it's the same thing as Philoki. Right. The Philoki uh, controversy is what dis- what's what separates the Greek Orthodox Church from the Roman Catholic Church. And it's literally one Greek word that determines how the, the Trinity is formed. Right. Does, does the Holy Spirit come from the Father and the Son or is it or is he coming from after the, from the son? It's it's very yeah. It's it's essentially it's semantics. It's a semantic it is semantics. Argument. But yeah. So but with consubstantiation, it's basically that the presence of Christ is in the bread and the wine. But with transubstantiation, with it the becomes Catholic, the actual body and blood of it's Christ. It's the actual. It is cannibalism. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So cannibalism and vampirism. Uh, <laughs> Whatever, um, it's cool. It's tradition, guys. <laughs> right. Um, so, and that—that's a hard pill to swallow. For uh, maybe you should say a hard host to swallow. Um, but um, it's a hard wafer. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, I'm just gonna throw it out there. It does not taste that great. Really? Yeah. I've never had one. Oh yeah. So I mean, that's one of the main things. But the thing about Lutheranism is that Luther, Luther wasn't even though he kind of got the ball rolling and was a pioneer in that sense, um, he was not really out there to throw away the Catholic faith. In many ways, Lutheranism, even though it's evolved on its own, mm-hmm. it still retains a good amount of the of the traditions, right? You, the Lutheran um, vestments that you wear, 
are not far removed from a Catholic priest reference. The churches do right. not look that different. Um, and like you say, they have they have baptism, they have marriage, they have um, they have most of the same seven sacraments. They even have the act of reconciliation, but they don't do it in private confession. They mm-hmm. do it in a group environment. They do it now. Granted, I'm not a Lutheran. I've never been to a Lutheran service, so forgive me if I if I misspeak here. But my understanding of it is it's not like the first part of the of the um, act of reconciliation prayer service where you go to, where mm-hmm. everyone has a prayer service and they publicly pray the act of contrition, but there's no need for private confession sure. at that point. Whereas in Catholicism, the private confession piece is, is critical. Yeah. Um, well, so basically the the Lutheran movement developed further, um, actually more in the 17th century. It was, right. This was a huge controversy at the time, but it was a slow burn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a slow burn. Yeah, and it did, and it, um, well, and actually, so it was it was growing, and then there was a in the 17th century. Sorry, I misspoke. There was a movement within the Lutheran um, Church that um, was talking about um, kind of em- an emphasis on individual conversion um, and spending more time on detailed studies of the Bible, and then actually taking um, active roles within the government of the church. Um, right. This and this was, I believe, Pietism as the movement right. that then developed. And the thing that's also important to know about Lutheranism, too, is that Luther was was unquestionably uh, an apocalyptic thinker. Mm-hmm. He he believed the end of days was coming and coming soon. So he wasn't really, even though he had un- unintentionally started his own church, his mind wasn't thinking about hierarchy, you know. He wasn't necessarily opposed to the idea of the pope. I mean, or, or of an organization. Yes, of course. He, I mean, even in L- the Lutheran church, you have bishops, you acknowledge that there are leaders amongst that church, and there are even synods, which is something that's unique to both, you know, these kind of group court-like systems that are similar in both Catholicism and in Lutheranism. But there was just no time to have, to establish a figurehead because he just like, well, there's no time for it. Let's not worry about that. Yeah. And then he died, and the apocalypse didn't happen. Right. So like, well, great. Now what? <laughs> you know. So you're right. So now you have this uh, this Lutheran conferences that happen, and they're 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 basically it's much more autonomous much closer to what you have in the greek orthodoxy where you have bishops and you have synods that group together and they agree on teachings and they have conferences and they Mm -hmm. they they debate about church teaching right but there's not one person declaring what it is yeah right yeah not there's no top down there's no one big representative that's the conduit for god right and so you've got all these different Within the Lutheran Church in the United States, you have the Western and Eastern synods. Then you've got Augsburg, which is very, very big in Germany. That's considered one of the hubs mm-hmm. uh, in Lutheranism. And then you have, excuse me, Lutheranism also spread to the Germanic and Nordic countries as well. So it's very big in Denmark. So every country essentially has their own um, jurisdiction, as it were, right, on right. the church teachings. And Lutheranism is still, I mean, duh, around today and like has like 80 million Followers, yeah, it's huge. It's it's a it's a biggin. <laughs> it's, it's a biggin. Yeah, uh, and because of that, there's also so much diversity too. And there's mm-hmm. not there's no unified teaching, right? There's a lot of the uh, progression that's happened in Christianity in the 20th century. Not everyone's on the same page about. Some churches let Lutheran priests get married. Some don't. Some yeah. churches ordain women. Some don't. Sure. Some. Well, and and let's yeah. let us clarify anything that's going to be popping up on the wheel tonight because. I'm looking at some of the other selections. Um, everything that's going to happen that we're talking about really is 
a larger header, and we're not even going to cover all of them because there are hundreds of denominations, yeah. if not thousands. Yeah, there's too much. There's just, just too much. There are a lot. So we're going to talk about uh, some of the earlier ones, some of the ones that are, uh, you know, just seem like interesting to talk about. Um, and I'm sure we will cover other ones in other episodes. But so I just wanted to go ahead and preface that now saying we're not going to be able to cover everything. And we're not going to be couple, able to cover every single right. differing factor between even between parishes. There are differences. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah. So, I mean, I think for for a wheel episode, I think that's about as much as we can fit in for one yeah. denomination. Yeah. Uh, as want... you can tell, a lot to talk about. Yeah. Do you want to give another spin? Uh, I think it's your turn. All right. Let's do this. And it lands on Anglicanism. Yay! Yes. Let us talk about the Church of England, shall we? Oh, my God. Yeah. I am an honorary Episcopalian. Are you? (laughs) I've I've said that. I mean, I, I am Roman Catholic, but my ideology is much closer to... Uh, Anglo-Catholic, yes. as, as it were. As it's been said by many a stand-up comic. Uh, um, Catholic light. Catholic light, diet Catholic, yeah, Catholic same, without the guilt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As uh, the late Robin Williams would say, same religion, half the guilt. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and light as in L-I-T-E. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, yeah, so this uh, Anglicanism, otherwise known as the Episcopal Church, otherwise known as the Church of England. Yes, now more more officially known as it's called the Anglican Communion. Yes. Right. Um, we have to dial it back to the f- early 16th century, right? Mid-16th century. Mid-16th century. I think. With Henry VIII. Yes. Henry VIII what a wanted a... was. <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm Henry VIII. Oh, I am sorry. <laughs> if you guys have never heard that song, uh, Henry VIII by Herman's Hermits, 1960s bubblegum pop group, totally awesome, and has nothing to do with the king. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it all comes down to Henry VIII, Catherine of Aragon, and he a little wanted, woman named Anne Boleyn. Yes, uh, Henry VIII wanted divorce. He wanted to divorce Catherine and get with Anne. And the church doesn't believe in divorce. They weren't going to recognize it. They weren't going to let it happen. And he said, well, yeah. fine. I'll start my own church. Now, keep in mind that Catherine of Aragon was uh, Henry VIII's second wife. Um, I just wanted to kind of, or was it? No, se- first wife. He, sorry, she had originally married his brother is what it was. But his brother died. And she claimed, he claimed, because uh, he wanted Catherine for himself, that I believe he was impotent. Um, not that Henry, but his brother was impotent, so that they were never able to consummate their marriage. Thus, the marriage was, was never was never valid, and thus it was annulled, right? Annulment's okay. Annulment's okay, but annulment is not the same thing as divorce. Though the ironic thing in the modern church is that you need a divorce to get an annulment. So, I mean, it's a very convoluted thing, but mm-hmm. Henry VIII ardently petitioned Pope Clement VII. Which was interesting, because just a few years prior, he... Henry himself had written that he was a staunch Catholic, yeah, and that and he was a, a big defender of of you know papal rights to to determine what was going on in the church, right? Um, but, but then it suddenly it didn't seem to work for him anymore, so he went against it. Exactly. <laughs> so essentially, even to the point where he tried to coax the Pope into had having said that he would annul the marriage, the Pope wouldn't do it because he knew it was for political reasons because mm-hmm. he had he was basically fixing to commit adultery yeah uh, with Anne Boleyn so uh, he would not annul the marriage 
and thus now you have Henry VIII forced to make a decision of saying, well, then let the Pope do what he does in Rome and I'll take care of things the way they are here, as it was very adamantly stated on the show, The Tudors. Um, but more importantly, he basically he establishes the English church, right? Yeah. Um, and he takes the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the, the cleric at least nearby, and appoints him as the the clerical head of the church, but he's really the, the guy who's in charge. He The king becomes the head of the church yes. in England. Um, but keep in mind, as you said, Henry VIII was a staunch Catholic. Nothing changed about the religion other than he was the one in charge, down to the Latin mass mm-hmm. was identical. Yeah. Just that they were taking orders from him. Yes, yeah, still Latin mass intended for the elite. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you really don't see the reform come to the Church of England until Elizabeth. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and yes, Catherine of Aragon was exiled from court. Um, to the day she died, she lived in exile and proclaimed herself as the true queen of England. Yes. Because she was the first marriage uh, that was blessed, blessed by the Catholic Church. And keep in mind, we talked about this with Mary Stuart and with Elizabeth way down the line. Huge rift of of primacy, right, of who was the right heir to the throne of England because who is Catholic, who is not, right? Mm-hmm. This rift started with Catherine because she contended that she was the rightful queen. Therefore, it was only her children that were the rightful heirs to the throne. Um well, that being said, that's political intrigue. It's not church history. Yeah, but um, it was the Elizabethan religious settlement made during the reign of Elizabeth I that was basically the very clear cut, we are no longer part of the Catholic Church, done, final split. But was it really final? So a couple things happened. <laughs> because a couple things happened. Yes, one of the big things is they, they adopted the English prayer book, right? They, she finally converted the religion into the English language mm-hmm. because it made sense that people who didn't have the money or education to learn Latin should be allowed to worship, right? Um, but yet, she kept a lot of the traditions um, still the same, right? Yes. She just she basically just said just translated it. Right. Right. But because it was so bloody Catholic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the arguments happened way up until the 19th century where they're like, are we really Protestant? Because we feel pretty Catholic. Like, I've been yeah. to Catholic masses. It feels really close to the same. Um, to the point where you get these ideas of high churches and low churches, right? You have the Anglo-Catholic, which is very rooted in Catholic tradition. Mm-hmm. But then you have the more reformed churches that are, they, they tend to pull further and further away. And you you even start to get to Puritanism, right? Yeah. Which is a reform to Anglicanism. They wanted mm-hmm. to take all of the Catholic out of it yeah. and make it much more <clears throat> Protestant. You well, know? and and everything down to, well, I mean, if you if you go to an Anglican church now, not speaking for every church, but a lot of them, um, or Episcopal churches as they're known in the States, um, in, in the because colonies. We don't, <laughs> yeah, because we don't like the idea of calling ourselves Anglican, because that seems we're still English, right? I, so yeah. So the Episcopal Church, um, right? If you go into if you go into those, they are still a lot of them are still fairly ornate, not yeah. not Catholic ornate, but they're still fairly ornate. They're still. I gotta be honest. They're. I mean, l- looking at modern Catholic yeah. churches as they're built now, and you build mm-hmm. if you build that with a modern uh, Anglican sure. church, th- th- like they there's more pomp and circumstance in an Anglican in an Episcopalian church than there is in the Catholic church now. So, uh, in some sometimes, ways. sometimes. And yeah. and but compared to 
you know, say when you move towards other Protestant religions that are based more on the, um, say, Puritans or other people who decided to strip even further away from the Catholic Church, where it's like, no, the only thing we have hanging up is a bare cross made out of plywood. And it's not even a crucifix. It's just it's a, a cross. cross. It's just yeah. a cross. Let's, let's be clear. The crucifix is the one that actually bears the image of Christ on it. It's more just the cruciform. It's yeah. just the idea of a cross, right? Yeah. Um, because, yeah, there's all these different... You get into a bunch of different things. Uh, technically, the crucifix is very unique to Orthodox and Catholic mm -hmm. uh, churches. Yes. Because we want to see our Savior dying. <laughs> yeah. You have to... Seriously. Seriously. This is what happened. This is what it looked like when he see, was dying look at it. for his look for at your it. sins. Look at it. <laughs> look at it. Don't turn away. Don't turn away. Um, Just don't comment on his abs. <laughs> it's true. You, it's true. Really not a good thing to say. You kind of get weird looks. Yeah. I, I would know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so um, it wasn't until the late 19th century, really, when you have the Catholic Church finally saying, no, 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 because there was a lot of, of bishops within the Anglican communion who wanted to try to mend those fences and said, you know, yeah, we had the disagreement back in like the 16th century, but we don't, we're Catholic. Yeah. And the church is like, no, you're not. No. <laughs> Sorry, you had your chance. That's, that's kind of gone away now. Yeah. And it really hasn't been a, a thing again since more recent times when you having the controversy that's been going on in the Anglican communion with over the the issue of um openly gay clergy mm -hmm. because that has created such a rift in the Anglican communion that some of the more conservative Anglican churches have actually gone back to the Catholic church the, the church has kind of created a consortium where they get to maintain a large large part of their uh, English traditions, but they have now been re-entered back into the Catholic Church. Yeah. So it's 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 really a, a weird mishmash. Well, at this and point. yeah, and there's there's been actually a, there's been a lot of efforts on on the behalf of the Catholic Church as it has been in the past uh, you know twenty or so years of kind of mending fences. And, Ecumenism, yeah. Yeah, and trying to uh, get itself a better rep, I think, and so. Um, there, you know, for a, for a long time, there have been um, summits held between um, the head of the Church of England, well, not necessarily the monarch, but at least the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, who was acknowledged as the as the the, the head spiritual of, figurehead. Yeah, yeah, um, of the church, not yeah. the conduit for God, but the spiritual figurehead. Yeah, um, in the same way that the the patriarch in the Greek Orthodox Church is acknowledged. Yeah, um, and you know they have regular that you know the Archbishop has regular summits with the pope and they discuss and th and they keep a dialogue of what's going on um but they but the pope still says but you're still not a church you know that, yeah right? <laughs> exactly right um but then there was also you know to go back to to lutherans there was um in 1999 there's a joint declaration of the doctrine of justification thank you for bringing that because i was yeah. gonna bring it up too that was, the, the methodists i think accepted that too yeah it did, did. and this is a pretty big deal because the catholic church and the lutheran church signed an agreement that basically said look, we had some disagreements, we're kind of on the same page now, which plants a big seed to say that, do we really need to be separate religions now? Um, and so it's a big gesture, but obviously you have to now work back through 500 years of of change. But essentially what we're, what we're acknowledging is that we, we may have differences, but we fight for one cause, right? We still... We're still Christian. We're still Christian. We're, we're, all, still, we're still following the teachings of Christ and the Bible. 
right. uh, as as our foundation for our spiritual guiding light. Right. Yeah. And you're right. The Methodist Church has also signed, gone on board with this. Um, the thing I also want to mention too is that the Methodism. I don't know if we, the, we'll if get the, in. we'll get to it later. Okay. Fair I enough. mean, well, it depends what the wheel says. Maybe the wheel will take us there. Yeah. But the big thing that separates <laughs> what acknowledges the Catholic Church as a, another organization as a church is do they have apostolic succession? Yeah. Can they trace their heads back to the apostles? Mm-hmm. Um, both the Greek Orthodox and Catholic churches can because there's a lineage, right? right? The English church can to a degree up until up until the split with Henry VIII, right? It, I, I mean, I'm reading here that it says that it um, they found their faith on the Bible, the traditions of the apostolic church, apostolic succession, and the writings of the church, uh, the church fathers. It, it becomes a really weird fine line because the Pope approves every new episcopate mm. in the church, right? So any of the sees, any of the, the the cathedrals that have been established prior to the start of the Church of England, could technically be considered ones of apostolic succession. Sure. Any other episcopate that's been established since then wouldn't be because mm. it's after the split. So it's that weird. It's that weird semantical argument we talked about. Sure. Again. You know, even though it's the ex- very close to the same religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, they would argue, well, we do have apostolic succession. And the church would say, the Catholic church would say, no, you don't. So. Yeah. Well, um, and so clearly, you know, Anglicanism made its way to the States and to Canada, um, you know, former colonies here. And, right. um, and, but we basically, after the American Revolution, kept the church, but formed um, you know, churches were forming their own sort of little autonomous churches, yeah. um, you know, uh, putting up their own kind of self, self-governing self systems. Yeah, and I think it's really and, important. And, and putting in their own bishops and yeah. whatnot. And the thing that's really important, we have to acknowledge the, the, the seminal change that the Canadian church made to worship, which was they ended every prayers with Amen A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so huge. Yeah. The implications of this. No, absolutely. So. And and instead of drinking wine, they drink Crown Royal. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, instead of a wafer, donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we keep picking on the Canadians? We love them so much. <laughs> they're, so, they're so nice. Our friendly neighbors to the north. I love them. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Obviously, none of that actually happened. No, that's not actually true. <laughs> so, but it is worth noting that the Episcopal Church has a very prominence, a, a, a large prominence in Canada. Yeah. Um, so um, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Well, and then I think there was a separate Church of Ireland that got um, pulled in to, there was the Union with, with Ireland Act that created the United Church of England and Ireland. Which is essentially, it's an Anglican church. Yeah, same same difference. And actually, um, but the Church of Ireland, you know, was kind of following a lot of the the Anglican ideas before Anglican church was actually a thing anyway. Well, but that's the thing with Celtic Christianity, though, yeah. is that even though, yes, like with what would now exist as South Ireland, mm-hmm. there's a very prominently Catholic Roman Catholic feeling to it. That sentiment happened afterwards, yeah. right? In the earlier days of Christianized Ireland, you have this sense of kind of interpretation, like there's room for interpretation. So the church, for some reason, didn't have as much of a stronghold on it on the earlier days, even though it was, you know, to code, so to speak. Right. So funny. We should we should definitely elaborate on that. I think we will. Uh, should we give the wheel another spin? I think we shall. Go for it. 
Here we go. Methodist. Methodist. Oh, interesting. This yeah. is kind of like the Anglican 2 electric boogaloo, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so so Methodists, the Methodist movement um, developed within the Anglican church. Yeah, John Wesley was the primary um, yeah, mover the, of that. the Wesley brothers. Yes. <laughs> it was uh, um, actually, yeah, it was actually so... Uh, George and Charles Wesley were um, brothers, and I believe John was their dad or something. Anyway, Wesley family was the big was the big deal on this one, um, and they were they were people who were um, within the Church of England um, and were very were very active in their church, very active in prayer, um, and very active in their community, and that idea of just being active has carried through the methodist religion and practice through and through case in point the salvation army right no sure and i think that's the the important thing is so as we're going further along um one of the five solas we talked about earlier with lutheranism sola fide right faith alone um you are saved through your faith in jesus christ Mm -hmm. this was one of the first protestant churches to say hold on a minute faith alone isn't going to do it, but neither is just being a good person. Right. You have to do both at the same time. They go hand in hand. Um, So, and this whole being active, Mm -hmm. getting involved in your church, being a good person, those those are very seminal to the Methodist Well, okay. So I I will correct myself. It's John Wesley and Charles Wesley were brothers. Um, And they, and Samuel and Susanna were their parents, but uh, John and Charles were the ones who were kind of spearheading this um, church. And I guess there was actually kind of a, a, a family moment for them. Um, in 1709, there was a very serious fiery, uh, fire at the rectory uh, where um, John and Charles's father was the rector. I'm having a really hard time not giggling. Um, <laughs> rector is a very Anglican term. We just yes. call him pastor. <laughs> in yeah. The... Um, so there was a serious rectum fire. And <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. <laughs> So he's like, sorry, come quickly. There's a fire in the rectum. I'm sorry, in the what? The what? <laughs> the rect- the, I'm sorry, the rectory. The rectory. Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, um, oh, 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 no, 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 no. Yeah. No, thank God. Sorry. <laughs> Go save. Right. And and John, John Wesley almost died. Uh, but he didn't. And his mother basically told him, you were saved for a bigger purpose. There, you have a mission in life now. You, with your newfound life, you got to go do something awesome. So, the Wesley brothers went and founded a fellowship at Oxford that was really dedicated for people who wanted to commit to prayer and Bible study. Yeah, um, and well, a lot of things were born out of Oxford. Um, one of them I like when I mentioned is a uh, calculus. By the way, kind of crazy. And half of Monty Python. <laughs> half of Monty Python. Oxford is older than calculus. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I know that's really insane. <laughs> Um, and, you know, so it got a lot of attention and some people called them the Holy Club, but other people started calling them Methodists and the name stuck. Um, (laughs) and so, um, they kind of created this, this sort of, um, evangelical revival was going on and they were actually holding, uh, prayer sessions and, um, you know, having sermons and doing preaching and teaching out in the open air. And just allowing everybody to come and participate. And that's 
really kind of there's there's four ideas when it comes to the Methodist faith. All need to be saved, all can be saved, all can know they are saved, and all can be saved completely. This completely takes away any I this is I mean this is a slap in the face to Calvinism really <laughs> yeah because Calvinism is kind of like saying screw it yeah take it all away yeah yeah <laughs> um but this is this is basically the idea that that Christ is for everyone salvation is for yeah. everyone grace is for everyone so let us spread the word and do good things on behalf of all the souls who can be saved. Yeah. And so um, there's a really strong emphasis that comes out of this for doing social work and, right. and social reform. But one of the things that does keep with it from the Calvinist tradition, even though Calvinism, I mean, really Methodism is kind of like Anglicanism meets Calvinism, mm-hmm. um, is that the austerity, right? Like Methodist churches are, do not share as much of the ornate Catholic tradition of right. a normal Anglican church. Right. Um, so it's very much, you go in, you have a cross, you've got, you know, maybe some nice stained glass windows, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily depicting the lives of saints or things like that. It's, um, it's very Christ focused. Yeah. It's, it's simpler. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was right around the, the later 1700s, um, when, you know, John Wesley was encouraging to Methodism in the U S and, and beyond, like, Let's take this outside of England. Let's go everywhere with it. And um, it's, I think, now about 70 million people worldwide. Yeah. The United Methodist Church yeah. is pretty big now. And I think, mm-hmm. and of course, as many churches are, they're expanding into Africa mm-hmm. and into parts of Asia as well. Yeah. So, and, uh, and so, and even though John Wesley was kind of a bigger proponent for it, let's not forget his brother who contributed 5,000 hymns. <laughs> to this religion to the prayer book wow five thousand that's huge that's, uh, the man was a prolific hymn writer <laughs> clearly <laughs> i feel like that should be on like on his head so you're saying he's like the john lennon of methodism i don't even think john lennon wrote five thousand songs i'm just trying to think of a name that's like as heavily influential on something like church music he's the john williams of hymnals <laughs> he's, he's <the> john- <laughs> 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 I'm sure he would have been nominated. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, um, and then in 1865, as I kind of mentioned, um, the Salvation Army was formed by William Booth with the sal- uh, with um, the idea of, of Methodism in mind and, and being part of that church. So yeah. again, social reform and social work for everybody. Th- right. Th- that's really, again, considering the time that it was competing with Calvinism at the time, um, this is this is a big deal that it's it's not you know right predestined it's, or... uh, actually yeah in fact it was the in 1968 uh, it was the merger of the Methodist Church with the United uh, uh, Evangelical Brethren Church oh, okay that formed the United Methodist Church okay yeah great so there you have it um, and that's Methodism in a nutshell that's Methodism in a nutshell yeah oh but also let I do want to clarify this is um, Another church that does still, um, you know, hold sacred baptism and uh, communion. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Again, driving from some of the more Catholic mm-hmm. traditions, right? The sacraments right. are still present there. Right. But again, uh, yeah. that but that the Bible is guiding the faith as opposed to the Pope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah but this is a yeah. church that has um, ministers and bishops as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. Um, all things to re- recognize. 
Well, I mean, Wheel, it's been nice to have you back. Do we have time for one more? I think we have time for just one more. Okay, we'll have to do it quickly, though. Yeah. All right. Well, we did mention it. Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay. So this is, uh, I mean, Calvinism is kind of part of the the greater header of Reformed churches. um, And it's pretty close to to Presbyterian as well. Presbyterian actually is derived from Calvinism. Right. So this is um, Reformed in the sense that some people didn't really like using, well, they've taken the idea of Reformed. uh, some people don't like using the word Protestant anymore. Reforming from what? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, and that's the that's the point. Calvin didn't see himself as, he wasn't pro- protesting anything. Yeah. He was trying to get the church back to the way it was always meant to be. Sure. As you said, he fe- he felt it was the Catholic church that had deviated from, from the true path. Right. They were just cl- reclaiming what it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I mean, if we want to talk about the five solas, like the, the Calvinism approached the five souls with a vengeance like they they went they, they literally went into catholic churches and literally tore down the virgin mary they tore down the the statues of the saints they whitewashed the walls you know destroying these these works of art that were religious in nature and again they made a, a very austere church right mm-hmm. um and this this spread like wildfire like this went this spread into it went viral it went viral. Um, this spread into France and became the Huguenot. You yeah. know, if you were Huguenot, you were essentially a right. French Calvinist, right? Yeah. Uh, it eventually morphed into the Presbyterian Church, which, if you look at the word presbyter, um, is the long form for the word priest, right? Mm-hmm. It was meant to be a minister-based faith, no hierarchy, right. right? Even though they now have a president and they have a, a formal organization, there's no bishops mm-hmm. in um, in the Presbyterian Church. It's right. it's a it's a simpler. Uh, in the way, same way the Methodism is, it's a much different take on a simpler church, mm-hmm. right? And and well, let's just go ahead and say that the first uh, frame of reference on time, John Calvin was a contemporary of Martin Luther. Yeah. So um, we're we're talking that no wonder this is also kind of spreading like wildfires because now all of a sudden this radical idea that the church doesn't have to be the end all be all. Right. We're talking um, in the late 16th century, right? Mm-hmm. At this point, yeah. Yeah, and so um, the theology of John Calvin goes to his five points which for a, a little easy device to remember if you just remember the word tulip <laughs> it'll help you remember the uh the first letter of each point um the first being total depravity of man people suck <laughs> is basically what it is man's nature is totally fallen and we need god to save us and we and to to work with us and to regenerate our faith number 2 unconditional election um Election is the act of God in choosing an individual. His choice is not based on any foreseen merit in man, but rather comes from his own mercy. So la gratia, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, number three, limited atonement. Um, Christ's death was effective in removing only some of the sins and only some of the sins of the ch- the people who were chosen by him, the specific elect, and not for all of mankind. Um, and it's also kind of known as particular redemption. So... Some of us are saved. Yeah. Not everyone. You can do the best you can, but it may not be you. Sorry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a crapshoot. Yeah. Um, number four, irresistible grace. The call of the Holy Spirit in bringing a person to conversion cannot be frustrated. God's grace given freely always results in salvation. Yeah. So in other words, this is the selling point. Yeah. You're screwed. Mm-hmm. But if you believe in Jesus, 
there's less of a chance that you're screwed because only the people who believe in Jesus can go to heaven for sure. With that, that we know for sure. Yeah. But even then, it's not a guarantee. Right. It's like buying a bunch of lottery tickets. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your chances go up, but I'm not sure. Yeah. You know? I you know, kind of wonder, though. Well, I feel like, okay, with Catholicism, you have repentance or whatever, but you try to go, do your good thing. And, you know, if you're a good person, then, okay, yeah, you get to go to heaven. And then there's and a lot of other religions, kind of the same thing. I don't feel very motivated on this one to be a good person if it's a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a melancholy way of approaching God. A little bit, God, a little yeah. bit, a little Just, depressing. Yeah. Um, and then last, number five, perseverance of the saints. Those who are chosen by God will continue in faith until the end. Those who fall away will not have had true faith in the beginning. Yeah, and they, this acknowledges the idea of a saints as just as a, being a good person. Yeah. Not necessarily the formal saints that we acknowledge. Right. Um, in the Catholic Church. So, yeah. So yeah. it's uh, a little a little bit more bleak, but I mean, Calvinism was a big deal and uh, it's still there's still um there's still Calvinist there's churches. There's still Calvinist churches, there's still um reformed churches, uh Presbyterians. Yeah. You know, are are um you know, definitely heavily influenced by John Calvin and his theology. Yeah, and I, socially speaking, the Churches that are still more directly derived from the Calvinist tradition are very, very conservative uh, in the sense that it women aren't even allowed to take part in prayer. It is conducted entirely by men. Um, it's very traditional um, social structure of, uh, I mean, it goes to the Bible as of, of the man being the mm-hmm. Lord of the household, basically. Some of them, yeah. again, not all of them. Yeah, again, it, when yeah. you get into Presbyterianism, you, you do get a little more... more there's um, more flexibility, absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely more progressive oh, yeah. movement there. Yeah. And there are even, and there there are even more liberal, like you, mm-hmm. and by liberal, I mean more progressive sure. um, Presbyterian churches where you do have mm-hmm. women being ministers and you do have yeah. more, more contemporary views mm-hmm. uh, happening. But strictly go- going back to Calvinism alone, more often than not, it does adhere to the, tr- right. the old traditions. Right. Um, and, you know, because we only have a limited time, let's just go ahead and um, just quickly just give a few shout outs to some other Protestant religions that we know that we can't really get super into. Pentecostalism um, that came around in the really early 1900s. Um, it was a, a kind of a brand new movement of um, really feeling the Holy Spirit. This is actually where the the speaking in tongues during prayer comes comes right. about. The, really, the whole idea of a revival, right? The 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 rousing of, uh, of well, people. Well, it's it was definitely more more lively, um, as my mom puts it. The Pentecostals like to get down with the Lord, <laughs> right? Um, but like, if you look, if you want to get again a snapshot of what this mm-hmm. is, like this is like if you turn on the television and you're looking at what has become tele- televangelism, that derives its its approach a from lot the of Pentecostal. It. Yeah, I mean, ev- uh, evangelicalism has been around for a long time, um, you know, kind of around since the 18th century. Right. But the speaking in tongues, the power of healing, that kind of more of the um, Billy Graham level of, of prayer does take very heavily from the Pentecostals right, because yeah. of the charismatic movement. Right. And the, I think it also, we deserve a shout out to the evangelical movement because yeah. that's a, because even though we've talked about all these different things, in the 19th century to the 20th century, you have a devote, a re-dedication to fundamentalism. Yeah. Right. This idea of interpreting this, the scripture, even though we acknowledge it's the only means of, of salvation in the Protestant church, mm-hmm. 
well, let's let's go as close as we can. In fact, let's interpret it literally. Um, yes, that happened almost in kind of in response to the, to the Enlightenment. Yeah, and there's and there's a difference between um, the infallibility of the Bible uh, and the literal opinion of the Bible. So there's the literal interpretation of the Bible means literally everything actually happened creationism all that stuff actually happened yeah and then there's the infallibility approach and um oh god there's an inerrancy uh biblical inerrancy biblical inerrancy versus biblical infallibility uh infallibility is that biblical inerrancy says that there was no error Mm -hmm. when it's again semantics there was no error in the way the bible was written um which which basically the, the the what separates that from infallibility is that if you're acknowledging there was no error, that you're still presenting the possibility that there was a, the margin for it. Yeah. Infallibility says says there 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 is not even the possibility of error. Right. Because it came directly from God. Yeah. So. And that's it. It was it was written exactly as it was meant to be written, or in order to guide our spirituality and our faith. Right. That does not necessarily mean that everything literally happened. That's a, there is a difference between that, right? Uh, and that's what's the that's yeah. what the debate is all about. Yeah, now. because some you know what do you choose to to think is metaphor? What do you choose to think is reality? So um, there's also um, the Baptists and Anabaptists. Um, kind of hard for me to understand the difference of this, but what they both really rely on is um, baptism of the true or baptism of the believer. So being baptized as a baby does nothing for the baptist it com- there's a, a ritual to commit that child to god in case you know just in case but um, but you have to make the conscious choices but an adult. you have to make the con- the conscious choice as an adult to to accept jesus christ as, you, as your savior and to believe in god mm-hmm. and the anabaptists similar approach i think they basically said that anything that happens to you as a child any sort of commitment to god is really kind of invalid and you do have to get a second bap- baptism and that's it uh Famously um, derived from the Anabaptists, though, are the Mennonites and the Amish. And so you'll kind of find under the Anabaptists, they tend to be uh, more in the way of strict strict pacifists. Yeah. And and worldly known as pacifists. Right. And um, the, keep in mind, the Amish were kind of a combination of Luddism mm-hmm. and Mennonites, right? Yeah. Because they, they deliberately decided to stay... Stay away uh, from technology. Stay away from... Stay... To basically reject the... The progressions of the industrial revolution yeah right so um so yeah i mean a lot of interesting things that happen there mm-hmm. um well anything else any other shout outs um i think we're probably gonna have to cover the church of latter-day saints probably in, an, in its own episode because there's a lot to say there's just there. so much to talk there's about a lot to talk we do about want there. it doesn't deserve a mention of course yeah. um but you know there's fundamentalism and adventism and all this other stuff and so there are so many, but we did want to kind of try yeah. and cover a little bit of what we could tonight. We've put in maybe 50 pieces into what is a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle into yeah. the Protestant uh, denomination of Christianity, the Protestant, Protestant sect of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hope we've helped clarify some of that and enlighten you for those who maybe didn't know so much. Or if anything, just to to let you know that within each religion and with each breaking off in each piece... There is a rich history behind each religion and a, and a reason why there are so many because there are so many different interpretations and way that people, um, you know, want want to and feel that they should believe. Right. And so I think it's um, I think it's really 
fun and and really interesting just to kind of see the development of humanity and and how you know I don't know there's so many opinions out there and variety is the spice of life <laughs> sure um, we don't have any feedback this episode. We um, don't. Oh, but real quick, I do want to say if you do want to get kind of more of a topical overview, again, of more Protestant religions, if you go to ChristianityInView.com, um, they do have under um, denominations, there's a pretty handy flow chart. <laughs> of, <laughs> Which you kind of need <laughs> to yeah, make sense of all of this. It's pretty yeah. helpful. Uh, um, a, a, a little little flow chart and some um, tabs of some larger uh, larger headers in the right. Protestant religions. Indeed. Um, which is great. And mm-hmm. of course, I mean, you know, uh, there are some very well-cited articles on Wikipedia that refer to all of these denominations. And then some. And then some. Go to the list of Protestant churches in Wikipedia. It's like the, the column for that is like yeah. half the page, your, basically. Your head will go kapoosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, what? Because there's all these different like offshoots that break off. Yeah. It's it's some crazy stuff. Churches upon churches upon churches. Yes, indeed. Um, well, folks, thank you for listening. As always, uh, don't take our word for it. We've given you the resources. Go out there and look it up yourself. And um, help us spread the word of nerd. You know, tell your friends about us. We've got a lot of episodes that you can refer to. So do it. Do it. Um, and if you do decide you want to give us some feedback, you can do that by going to neuronomy.com and clicking on the feedback button or actually the talk to us link interestingly enough if you go to neuronomy.com you can also find the links to our social media mm-hmm. um at facebook and twitter right mm-hmm. and instagram as well right uh you can also buy a t-shirt made in the u.s by the way look schnazzy have some funny stuff from our podcast and you can give us just a straight up donation to help us keep our group afloat yep so thank you very much for all that and um well, I think it's that time, isn't it? I think so. So, Wheel, thank you for coming back, and we're happy to see that you're on the right track now. Yeah. And you can't talk, but we'll just acknowledge that you're you're happy that, yeah. that you're here. Um, and until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode, same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Uh, wait, wait, well, what's, oh God, what's, what's the, oh, 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 it's shooting water at you, oh, what did it, uh, what the, uh, oh, uh, what was that? I don't know if the wheel just tried to baptize me or if it peed on me. I don't want to know. Uh.